0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: It's election time in San Diego and across California, and this week we're focusing on the communities in North County and the choices that voters are already making there. From the candidates and the races to what's motivating people to cast their ballots, we're talking about the primary. I'm Matt Hoffman, and this is KPBS Roundtable.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu.
1: Let's dive right into it as we check in with some local journalists who are covering the upcoming California primary, Election Day is officially June 7th, but voting has already begun. Ballots were mailed out last week, and coming up in the show, we'll have some tips on how you can get organized. But right now, let's introduce our guests on Roundtable. Tanya Thorne covers North County for KPBS News. Steve Wire is a reporter for The Coast News, focusing on North County communities. And Matt Hall is the editorial director for the San Diego Union-Tribune. Thank you all so much for being here. For the first part of the show, we want to focus on San Diego's North County, and we're starting with Tanya Thorne here. Tanya, the top of the ticket in a midterm is the balance of power in Congress. The coastal 49th district, it turned blue a couple of cycles ago, with Mike Levin now holding that seat. Can you sort of set the stage for us here? What are you seeing in the 49th this year?
2: You know, I think this is going to be a tight race, and one I'm personally keeping my eye on because it may have the potential to flip sides. Levin, who's running for a third Democratic term, is being challenged by five Republican opponents, hoping to get power back, and one Democrat. Brian Marriott is one of the Republican candidates and lost to Levin in the last election. He's back for a third run. Another familiar North County name challenging Levin is Oceanside City Council member Chris Rodriguez. There's also an Orange County supervisor, Lisa Bartlett. And because of the redrawn district maps that are intended to balance voter registrations, this is a race that will be interesting to watch. Will the blue wave from 2018 continue its course, or will we see a red wave crash it down?
1: Let's also get some reaction from Steve Wire with The Coast News. Steve, this is the first election since redistricting. What's changed in terms of the makeup of the 49th district?
3: Yeah, so the 49th district has um, changed a little bit, not a lot. Um, it's gotten a little more competitive. So it basically it stretches now from about San Juan Capistrano in the north down to Del Mar. It goes about as far inland as Fallbrook. The real major change is that the city of Laguna Niguel got added to the district. So now you're looking at a slightly more conservative region being included. Um, which makes the district more competitive. Um, according to that um, they, they now consider this it went from being a safely democratic district to a more competitive district. Um, and it's pretty much dead even. When you look at the demographics, it's about 35% um, dead even for Republicans and Democrats in terms of registered voters. Another congressional
1: district that stretches into North County is the one currently held by Republican Darrell Issa, his district is now the 48th. Steve, how has redistricting changed boundary lines
3: there? Sure. So, in the 40, the 48th changed a little bit more. Um, again, it was formerly the 50th, and it gets confusing there. But um, the 48th district covers basically all of East County now from Riverside County to the border. So, that includes Ranchita, Julian, Ramona, um, Mount Laguna, Warner Springs. And it goes a little further north than it did previously, Um, now extends all the way up north to Temecula, Marietta. Analysts, including UCSD professor Thad Kassler, who I speak with regularly, uh, has said that this is a much more um, competitive district than it was before, uh, but still, again, somewhat favorable for um, the incumbent.
1: We know that ICE's congressional district, it has been more competitive, especially in more recent cycles. What is that looking like this year, Tanya? I mean, does it look like Democrats are going to be able to put up a serious challenge?
2: You know, Democrats are definitely challenging Isa, and he's facing off with two Democratic candidates and one independent party candidate. No Republicans threw their name in the hat for this race, so it will be interesting to see if Republican support keeps Isa in his position, or if this could be a district that also sees a flip. Stephen Houlihan and Matthew Rascon are the two Democratic candidates, and Lucinda Jan represents the independent party.
1: And Matt from the Union Tribune, I'm curious, could you see either of these districts flipping one way or another?
4: I mean anything's possible. This is politics, right? So um we'll know on on June eighth which two of these candidates in each race uh proceeds to the November eighth runoff. Um I, I kind of you know see it the same way that Tanya did. Like you know, Levin's got a bit of a fight on his hands. It's I I I see, I see it as his race to lose. You know, um he's he's got some chops. We actually just dropped our endorsement uh for the five congressional uh, races, the five House races and the Senate seat this morning. So those are all online for people to to, to see. And just you know, I, I don't need to go over chapter verse, but uh, we we looked at Isa and and Houlihan in in that race. Stephen Houlihan is a Santee City Council member, and and endorsed um, Stephen.
1: Every couple of years, we also elect a new state legislature. And Steve, one of the races that you recently covered is the thirty eighth state Senate seat. What communities does that cover, and why is that of particular interest to you?
3: Sure. So the um, 38th has gone from being what was more of an Orange County focused district going up into the communities of L- Laguna Niguel, Liso Viejo, etc. It's now expanding um, further south more towards San Diego. So it's adopted a much more San Diego um, centric look. So it includes communities such as La Jolla, Pacific Beach, And you have a situation now where this district looks more coastal and so it's more favorable for Democrats. So what's going on in this race is um, you have uh, Encinitas Mayor Catherine Blakespear, who is kind of the prospective favorite in the race. Um, She's running. You have a new newcomer, Matt Gunderson. Um, who's running. He's a Republican. Then you have Joe Kerr, who's uh, the other Democrat in the race, who's a retired fire captain for, or, from Orange County. Um, Gunderson and Kerr are both from Orange County. Um, so Blakespeare has the advantage in that she's the only candidate from the San Diego region, which is about 80% of the district is San Diego focused now. Polls actually are surprisingly uh, going somewhat favorably for Gunderson. Um, he's in a situation where he leads the race about th- about 36% and then Blakespeare comes in at 21%. Um, Joe Kerr's at, at about eleven percent right now. So um, it's looking pretty favorable for Gunderson surprisingly early on. I interviewed him last week. He admitted he was pretty surprised himself by the early success of his campaign. Again, he's an outsider, no political experience. Um, first time off op- um, first time seeking office. Um he was a, a car dealership owner before. So Blake Spear is still leading in fundraising. And then kind of segueing into uh, talking when we talk about Blake Spear, I mean, I think that talking to local politicians, it's pretty clear that, Um, She still has a good chance at winning this race. Just she's very politically savvy. She knows how to run a campaign. Um, She's been here, done that before.
1: Steve, you also wrote about Blake Spears' use of Facebook as a candidate and how a judge had to get involved there. What happened?
3: Basically, there was a situation where Blake Spear has an official public Facebook page as the mayor of Encinitas. Now, interestingly enough, court rulings have decided that under the, the Constitution, under First Amendment protections, if it's a public Facebook page being used utilized by a public official, um, they're not allowed to block or remove comments um, simply for disagreeing with, with your opinion. So on if it's your private page, you have, you know, obviously any rights you want to remove people, but on a public Facebook page, it's considered a public forum for free speech and so um, the situation here was that blake Spear was removing and blocking people from her page and the people who were being removed ended up deciding to go ahead and move forward with a lawsuit against Blakespeare. Uh, now, they, en- they did end up settling outside of court, so there was they didn't actually end up taking it to court. They ended up with a settlement. But as a part of this settlement, Blakespear is actually going to be issuing a public apology. Um, she's going to be paying an undisclosed amount uh, of money to cover their attorney fees. So it was kind of a bit of, a, as I said, a, a sort of political black eye for Blakespeare because it was a situation where um, she was essentially – um, you know, accused of uh, violating the First Amendment, violating her oath of office, violating free speech protections and that sort of thing. So definitely wasn't a good look. And it's something that um, I th- I feel like her political opponents are probably going to utilize and um, going forward and moving into the election. So um, kind of an interesting dicey situation there for Blake Spear. Um But yeah.
1: We're going to open this question up for everyone, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts on how social media and, you know, the online experience is shaping modern campaigning, especially in this pandemic era? And Matt, we'll start with you here.
4: That's a great question. I mean, I think underlying that question is who, in fact, knows that an election is happening right now. And I would venture to guess that that's a pretty small point. Uh, Proportion of San Diego. Unfortunately, it, this is a regularly scheduled election, right? This is a June primary, but it's not a presidential year. There's really not big names driving the the, the, the discussion, right? I mean, Gavin Newsom is uh, the biggest name. You'd think maybe a race for governor would bring a lot of people to the polls, but didn't we just elect that dude like last year? Oh yeah, we did. There was a recall election, and he, he won handily. And all his opponents in that race aren't even in it, so he's running against I think two dozen. You know, um, hopefuls who aren't even going to get close. And as a result, no one knows that there's an election going on. So if you use social media, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, uh, and, and no one hears it, did it really fall? I guess it fell, but no one knew. So, um, I do think candidates use it more. It, that's a trend you're seeing on in, in all industries from politics to sports where people are, are trying to circumvent the quote unquote media and get their message out on social. And so some of these discussions are happening on social, but the bottom line is the, Twitter is not your uh, uh, electorate, right? They're two totally different circles. And if you drew a Venn diagram, the overlap would probably be surprising to a lot of people.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, more people are getting their news from online sources in today's day. So in my opinion, it can be a double-edged sword. I mean, when it comes to elections, candidates can use these tools to be completely transparent and share where they stand on things, or they could share very little and run their campaign very controlled only releasing what they strategically think is best. So the public really has to use their best judgment on where they are getting their information from and if they trust that source.
1: We want to hear from everyone here as well. You know, there's not enough time for us to go down the entire ballot. So what's something perhaps maybe under the radar or down ballot that you guys are finding interesting in North County? And we'll start with KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne here.
2: You know, I'm interested in seeing if the city of Escondido decides to place a sales tax measure in November's ballot. It would be a 1% citywide sales tax increase that would help with the deficit that Escondido is facing, as well as infrastructure improvements. So if it is put on the ballot, I'd be curious about the response from Escondido residents given inflation and gas taxes that are already hurting so many people.
3: One issue that's kind of uh, flying under the radar for me that I, I don't know if it's flying under the radar, but... Um, I think it's worth talking about is um, this whole issue with um, Will Rodriguez Kennedy, um, who is the chairman of the Democratic Party. Recently, some allegations came out against him concerning um, sexual misconduct. And he's temporarily stepped aside as chair of the, the Democratic Party. And so I think it's interesting to see just what ramifications this is going to have for the party, for local races, whether this will be an issue that's brought up in primaries. Um, just from talking to some party insiders, um, I've been told that there's definitely going to be a change in leadership that's almost for certain, um, in terms of uh, not just temporarily him stepping aside, but in terms of a more permanent change in leadership. I've also been told that this is just an entirely unprecedented situation that the San Diego Democratic Party is having to grapple with. One Democratic insider told me that um, this is kind of just compounding issues that the party is already facing um, at the at the regional level. The party is very cash strapped. It's looking for money after covid. Um, And so the party is already sort of in disarray, he told me. Um, So it's it's kind of a situation now where he said that the Democratic Party um, For San Diego, he, he said, is basically headless right now, um, given the current state of affairs and just the level of um, disarray that this has um, thrown um, regional party officials into.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design & Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design & Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at TrustYourHomeToUs.com.
1: Let's hold some of those thoughts for a moment. We want to know what you all think about what's motivating voters. But first, let's take a moment to remind them of a tool that can help them get organized. For that, we're talking briefly with another guest here with us this week. KPBS's digital editor, Elma Gonzalez Lima-Brandau. We want to plug the KPBS Voter Hub, which you can find online at kpbs.org. Welcome to Roundtable, Elma.
5: Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me.
1: Great to have you here. So this is a bit of a revamp compared to our past elections voter guides. How has the KPBS digital team tweaked things and made them awesome for 2022?
5: You're right, we've offered voter resources and guides on every election with stories, interactive ballots, maps, and this year's no different. We have all of that, but this year the goal is really to simplify navigating all these things so that users can visit and bookmark one page. The Voter Hub has a virtual personalized sample ballot in partnership with Voters Edge, polling and ballot drop-off locator maps, reporting on candidates and issues uh, from the KPBS newsroom, and of course, the live results on election night. The biggest difference this year is that we have all of those things in Spanish as well. We have what we're calling the KPBS Guía Electoral for the first time.
1: And this year, there's a new way for voters to weigh in on some of the issues and see how candidates compare. Can you tell us how that all works?
5: Right, we reached out to all the local candidates that will appear on the ballot with a questionnaire on the big issues like COVID, housing, law enforcement funding, and we asked them to respond with a yes, no, other, or choose not to respond, as well as a short explanation for each answer. On our site, we have an interactive quiz where the public can answer some of the same questions we ask the candidates. Once they've completed the quiz, they can explore which candidates answered in the same way that they did. It's kind of like helping voters figure out which candidates align with them on the most important issues.
1: Okay, and if you can, can you tell us where we can find the voter guide exactly? And if there's anything else that you want to plug for our online election coverage?
5: Well, I do want to mention that folks can sign up to receive email updates with crucial elections information, like how to mail your ballot, but also reporter analysis on the key races in the county. So make sure to sign up for that. And you can find the Voter Hub at kpbs.org slash Voter Hub, or in Spanish at kpbs.org barra electoral.
1: That's KPBS's digital editor, Elma Gonzalez. And Elma, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. back with our guests, Tanya Thorne, Steve Wire, and Matt Hall. We've talked about some of what's on the ballot in North County. Now let's shift to talking a bit about the voters themselves. What's motivating them to turn out, or in some cases, stay home? We'll start with the UT's Matt Hall on this one. Matt, as the editorial director, you get a lot of reader feedback. What do you think is top of mind for people as they're casting their ballots?
4: Yeah, midterm elections are are notoriously low turnout. So we'll see how those numbers fare. But the turnout was pretty high uh, two years ago. So people, I think, are uh, they they know how to vote from home. It's super easy. We all got our mail ballots last week. We can return them now if we choose. If we want to wait and get more information and do more research, we can do that. So I, I think turnout will be okay. I think what's top of mind for people, and you know this from looking at PPIC polls up and down the state, crime and homelessness, right? I mean, anyone who goes anywhere really in San Diego County sees how the homeless situation has just exploded. We got the new point in time count numbers today that showed a 10% increase and and crime is is going up everywhere, no matter where you live. You know, car thefts are happening, break-ins, violent crime is up. And so I think incumbents need to uh, really be held accountable and people, you know, need to ask these incumbents, what are you doing to solve these problems? How are you approaching them? Why do the problems persist? I keep telling people generally, these are job interviews, right? Like these politicians, they work for us. They work for the public. And so we really need to um, take this time and take this moment and ask questions like this. And that's where, you know, Steve, Tanya, and I come in. We do that on behalf of the public.
1: And Matt, do you see issues like reproductive rights, you know, bringing people to the polls and maybe increasing turnout here?
4: Yeah, I mean, I do think that that issue obviously is front of mind for a lot of people. Just this weekend, there were... um, demonstrations around the country it's it's still unclear to me who will be more motivated to turn out because it kind of motivates people on both sides um, of that discussion so I think we'll see I I do think that that is a is a is a wild card and that it could impact the election but I think there are other kind of issues closer to home uh, to use that expression that might be more front of mind for more people but that's just what I think I don't know Tanya Steve what do you guys think
3: Yeah, I mean, just to jump in, I I think that there's a situation, as uh, Matt just pointed out, where you have a lot of voters who are very galvanized by the Roe v. Wade issue. Um, Specifically, I talked to one um, Democratic Party insider earlier today, and one thing he was saying is that he's talked to some voters uh, in his district who have told him that they're uh, these are moderate voters, or in one case, it was even a Republican voter who said, I will never vote Republican again. Um, after this, because they're they're so fired up about the Roe versus Wade issue. They're so fired up about um, the prospect of um, reproductive rights being taken away. So um, I think that you have a situation now where um, a lot of voters are fired up, not only Democrat voters, but also moderate voters as well, who are really galvanized by this issue. People who maybe normally don't even weigh into politics that are actually actually really concerned about this, that are actually looking at this and saying, hey, this is an issue that I care about. Maybe this is an issue that's affected me personally. And then just kind of to, to branch off of that, if I may, like, um, I think another issue that's top of mind for a lot of voters in the area I, the areas I cover, which is like coastal district 38, um, 49, 50. Um, I think that the issue of climate change, environmental issues are really top of mind right now. There's been some bluff collapses in the um, Encinitas Del Mar area. There's been the wildfires up um, by Laguna Niguel. Um, so I think people are thinking about climate change. They are thinking about the environment. Um, and I think that candidates that can kind of tap into that and offer meaningful solutions are going to have an advantage. Um, Catherine Blakespear is really touting the 100 percent renewable energy move that Encinitas made recently by making um, commercial and residential energy um, the default option for um, renewable energy sources. So um, that's something that uh, she's really touting. Um, Joe Kerr. Um, as I said earlier, as a retired fire captain. So the, the fire, the fire issue is something that he's really strong on. And it's something that he's talking about a lot. So I really do think voters are going to be um, moved to the polls by environmental issues, um, by things like nuclear power, by things like, you know, preserving the open spaces um, in a lot of these quaint um, coastal communities. Um, I think this is something people are definitely concerned about and, and thinking about going into the June primary.
1: And Tanya, you know what are you hearing in the communities that you're covering? You know what are the priorities right now? Is COVID behind us as a political issue, or is there anything else popping up when you're talking to voters out there?
2: You know this election comes at a tough time. People are just getting back to their normal life. Some people aren't there yet, and they're just starting to get back to work, having an income. And so it, it comes at a time where they're seeing the headlines, right? We're seeing climate change and Roe versus Wade and all these things happening around them, but. There's not a lot of attention on there's an election going on. Are you going to go out and vote? Because right now, a lot of people are concentrated on on just getting their kids back to school, mental health, getting a, a job in their house after many people lost their job. So it's tough. But I I do think more people are paying attention to what's going on. So this could bring change. I mean, I think especially in minority groups, I have noticed more people getting involved in uh, city council meetings, school board meetings, and doing more community outreach. I've seen a lot of younger voices helping elevate older voices that were never really heard before. So I think, I think people are paying attention, and hopefully they'll be using their votes to elect candidates that they feel represent them and their interests best.
1: Matt, we know that the Union Tribune, you all are in the thick of your political coverage right now for the primary. That includes public forums, candidate interviews, and endorsements, as you talked about earlier. You know, we touched on social media in the context of how people are staying informed, but I'm curious, how important are endorsements in this current environment?
4: I think this, you know, local endorsements are the ones that matter. We we clearly saw in um, in recent presidential cycles that those endorsements while reflective of a local community may not mean anything right only a few co- newspapers in the country endorse donald trump and he won um so i think there's a difference to draw between national endorsements and local endorsements and so i think people are looking to see you know for example how we endorse in the sheriff's race which is a hugely uh important issue people are dying at a you know one or two uh um a month clip in our jails, which is unacceptable and uh, astounding. Uh, And so that's an important election. You know, and city council races, school board races, these are races that don't get a lot of coverage. So I think there's a value to a team like ours, not only doing the endorsements, but, you know, they can go to the sanidadunitribune.com 2022 slash 2022 primary guide and see all the interviews that we did. And thank you for mentioning them. We interviewed most of the candidates in most of the races, it was a huge undertaking, but they're all online for people to read and assess. We had in-person forums in the four San Diego City Council Districts and in the Chula Vista mayor's race. You know, we just this week interviewed the three sheriff's candidates and we're dropping those via Zoom, we're dropping those online later. And, you know, I would tell people about endorsements, it doesn't matter. We're not saying this is how you should vote. We're saying, here, here's our recommendation. What do you think? Do your research, join this conversation. It's important. To Tanya's point, people need to elect people that hold their values, that represent them. I mean, again and again to mind there this is a job interview. And so we need to figure out. Who can do the job, who will do the job, who should do the job? And that's kind of the point of local endorsements. And I think there is a value to them.
1: And finally, as we wrap up, you know, turnout is always something to consider, especially when it's not a general election. Do you guys have thoughts on the reasons why most people choose not to participate and maybe stay home? And Tanya, we'll start with you here.
2: You know, I think at the end of the day, voter turnout really depends on outreach and education with Latinos who hold voting power, but don't usually come out to vote a lot of the time it's because they don't know how this impacts them. Why should they care? What have their representatives done for them? What's their track record? So when there's more outreach coming from people like them, their neighbors, their comadres, their families telling them to go out and vote, I think that kind of outreach is very effective and we saw that with vaccine outreach, right? The trusted messenger approach. So, you know, it's it's a little late, right? We're a month away from the June election. So um, we'll see if we see a little bit more talk as that date approaches.
1: And Steve, what are your thoughts here?
3: Well, I think that when you talk about low voter turnout, you have to talk about the youth vote, and in particular, the fact that there are millions of young people in this country who, who are in my age range who just simply choose not to vote. And I think that um, a lot of young people don't necessarily know how the system works. They're not necessarily sure um, what their vote means. Um, they're not necessarily up to date on the issues and that sort of thing. And I, I think that that's like one reason why a lot of them choose to stay out and I think that um, there also are some logistical barriers to voting, you know, in, in some states, not California so much, but there tend to be um, voter ID law issues. There tend to be um, issues of, um, you know, people having registration difficulties or maybe some criminal backgrounds that prevent them from um, voting. So I think that's a factor, too. Um, I think that honestly, a lo- also a lot of people feel as though the system is in some ways corrupt, so to speak, or they think that there's too much money in politics or that their vote doesn't really matter anyways. So I think some people choose to stay out of the voting process for that reason. And also just a general sense of apathy, especially during a midterm year, um, I think is just something that you have to consider. Um, You know, there's no, uh, there's no Donald Trump on the ballot to kind of galvanize people either way. There's no presidential race to kind of really get people's attention. So I, I think just midterm apathy is always a thing too.
1: We're going to have to end it there and wrap up our conversation. I want to thank all of you so much for being here. Matt Hall from the San Diego Union-Tribune, Steve Wire from the Coast News, along with Tanya Thorne and Elma Gonzalez-Lima Brandau from KPBS News. You can stream the show anytime as a podcast and online at kpbs.org. I'm Matt Hoffman. We'll be back next week on Roundtable.